Welcome to Club Sandwich, where the music is great and the stories are real. Each week we talk about life in the middle, the middle of raising kids, nurturing careers, and navigating the ever-changing needs of our aging parents. I'm Jennifer Owens. I serve as editorial director at Firstly, the first financial wellness platform designed specifically for the sandwich generation. I'm also the mother of two, wife of one, and the daughter and stepdaughter of my children's grandparents. I know firsthand how complex family life can be and how it can change in an instant. I also know how hard it can be to prepare for the future, especially one that impacts our kids and our parents, let alone ourselves. Our guest today knows that too. Amanda Clayman, thank you so much for sharing your sandwich expertise with us today. Thanks, Jennifer. I'm thrilled to be here. So... You are a clinician who focuses on money issues. And so as such, I'm going to tell you right now, you're the guest I've been looking forward to talking to on Club Sandwich since day freaking one. So (laughs) I would love for you to set the scene about the work that you do so our listeners kind of understand why I'm so psyched. So I am, as you said in the introduction, a clinician who focuses on financial issues. And I specifically went into the mental health field because I felt like money was this misunderstood entity in our lives. Yeah. And I was I was kind of coming off a, a period in my own life where I was had just become very acquainted with my own financial mess, if you will. <laughs> and yes. And, <laughs> why yes. <laughs> and got the sort of thunderbolt about how most of the struggles that I was encountering in my life when it came to money had deep psychological and emotional roots. And I thought, well, why isn't there a place where you can really go to just dig into that? Mm -hmm. And I thought I was the first person in the world who had ever put these two things (laughs) together. (laughs) I know that you were. I am very sure. Well, I was at the forefront and and this was in sort of the late 90s, early 2000s. So before we had the benefit of social media and being able to just instantly connect with anybody who might Mm -hmm. share the same interest as us. So I sort of looked around and tried to figure out how this could be a job. I went and got my master's in social work and have ever since then sort of worked in agencies, worked privately, worked as a consultant, helping people in the institutions that serve them better understand and feel empowered as to the role of money in their lives. And, and how deep it goes. It goes all the way deep. All the way, because it's, um, well, you know, I won't make this my therapy session. Instead. <laughs> you would be the first interviewer who didn't. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, as, as listener has come to realize, Club Sandwich is just me trying to get the answers to all the questions for my multi-generational family. So there you go. But this week is National Financial Awareness Week. That's why I'm particularly glad that we're chatting because what I love about this concept is that it's not about financial literacy. And there's a lot to learn in literacy, mortgage-backed derivatives, CDs, and SPACs. Everybody's about SPACs now. But awareness is a broader concept. It's much more than literacy. And so I was wondering if you could help us kind of define financial awareness. The words that come to mind as I think of financial awareness is like, I wanted us to be awake and attentive and present to how money is working and not working in our lives. And so sometimes there are gaps in learning or understanding and financial literacy and education are are important because we want to know what our options are and how those options impact us. But what I find and sort of the reason I said, you know, money goes all the way deep is because 
money maps over all of the different aspects of our lives in some way, shape or form from how we think about power and decision making in our relationships to how we nurture to the kind of work we do and how we feel that that work gets valued in the Mm -hmm. world. So all of these things that often show up in our lives as financial problems, ultimately have a much more personal and significant dimension in terms of the meaning that we project onto these situations and the ways that we interact with that meaning layer often right. unconsciously. Does that make sense? It it does because I think, you know, we're we're talking to the sandwich generation. So there is the squeeze of, you know, we often talk about the pressure of, you know, hey, what's up with our parents and what's happening there? And then, oh my goodness, our kids are on this conveyor belt of, you know, the minute they appear, there's always the next stage we have to get them through. But that's a lot of the action stuff of our lives, but how we define ourselves as standing in the middle and being like stand up folks that -hmm. are holding up our families, that comes, you know, I I was the editor of Working Mother Media for a a very long time. And it it was defining being very proud of being able to support my family Mm -hmm. and support had to do with money and why I had a career and what I don't know. It is it is very it's all together. And it's, it's how we define ourselves and then how we actionably do ourselves, do our families and run yeah. everything. Yeah. And that identity piece, that's very representative of the, when yeah. I say like the stories that we're telling ourselves about what's happening, like that's how we see ourselves inhabiting these roles. So like a very important sense of identity for me is a parent and a family member. And I think of being a parent as being nurturing and providing. And that can mean like how I make decisions about money, both in terms of my own financial contribution to the family, but also like when my kids are asking me about stuff, which is literally their full-time job to ask me. (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. (laughs) How do I respond to those requests and how is money playing that kind of function in the way that I nurture my child? Or, you know, in terms of like, financial relationships and boundaries that we have with our parents, like, are they in a place where they are competing for nurturing and resources for nurturing with our children? Or are they a source where money and nurturing is still flowing from that grandparent generation to us, to the children? And how do we feel about it? How does it make us feel when we're just hanging out, watching reruns of Match Game? And yes, that is a very specific (laughs) experience from our family was Mm -hmm. hanging out and watching match game reruns from the seventies. And there is a bit of who is who in the room and it has to do with money. Some, you know, and also love and who can you depend on? But a lot of that depending on is money. Yeah. And so when you think about the awareness part, that's the financial part of it in a sense, but the awareness part of it is I'm going to make an assumption is helping people kind of realize they do have feelings about all of this. You know, it is impacting things. Yeah. A lot of times we need to make room for feelings to sort of go through their process. And feelings sometimes move faster than our thoughts and understanding. And sometimes they move a lot slower than our thoughts and understanding. Yeah. So like something can feel really off when it comes to money or like if we do worry about an older parent's financial security. And that is causing tremendous anxiety 
as it does. Mm, Right, right. That there can often be just like multiple layers of meaning that are happening around that underneath that. No, never. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, I've I've come with some news. (laughs) I'm I'm so shocked to hear you say this. And so we need to like a lot of times I think that anxiety is very misunderstood because we we tend to code anxiety as an indication that something is wrong. Whereas really, if there's anything really top line practical that I want to be able to offer your listeners is that it helps to reframe anxiety as our body and brain's cue that something needs our attention. Mm. So we say like, okay, stress, okay, anxiety, you have done your job. I am cued. I am paying attention to you. Now my job is to create a space to be able to hold this feeling while I interrogate it and explore it. And I say like, maybe I need more information about, you know, my mom is sending me some signals that she's worried about money. Okay. Let's engage her and try to find out more details about that. What's actually fueling her anxiety that I'm reacting to. Yes. So we we're gathering information here. We need to think about like, ooh, is some of the anxiety that I'm feeling because this is about shifting roles or fears I have about my mother's mortality. Is this about I'm picking up on a sense of the constraint of resources of my own time and money around mm-hmm. like, I want my money to be for me or I want it to be for my kids. And I, I have all kinds of complicated feelings that my mom may also need my support. Right. In these situations. And I worry about all these things that are swirling around me. For me, it's like, I just need to write it all down. Yeah. What's what's actually at play here in my anxiety insomnia? Yes. (laughs) Because anxiety will keep knocking at the door, right? Of your awareness going, hey, here I am again. Hey, hey, what was here? (laughs) Well, I love it. You call, you know, financial challenges inevitable, which it's, it's very, uh, calming to me because, you know, I've had student loans, mortgages, debt, medical bills. I always have the thought that someday we'll be done. You know, someday it'll all be figured out. And yet life only gets more complicated. So I kind of like, yeah, it is inevitable. It's a simple concept that really hit home for me. Yeah. One of our misunderstandings, I mentioned one being that we sort of, we want money to have this very rational sort of solution to it. But the other one is that we get to be finished with money at some point. And and that this is just something that we need to kind of check off our to-do list. Yeah. I think it's more helpful to think of we have a practice and that practice exists. Interesting. Beside the things that go into that practice. Yeah. Meaning whatever financially is kind of in our on our plate at the moment. We have our yoga practice. Mm -hmm. We have our deep breathing practice. Like all these ways for ourselves. But can you give us some 101 ways to have a healthy mindset to like a financial challenge? Maybe say college is here. Mm-hmm. I used to say it was looming. Now it is here. But these challenges that that are going to come in and kind of freak us out. When we think about money as a flow and a practice and something that it exists in perpetuity throughout the course of our lives. But that doesn't mean that we don't have boundaries around it. And that's kind of the rationale behind creating this as a as a practice. We can say like the money that I that is coming into my life right now, here is how I'm directing it in these different ways. And then as sort of those those needs change or my resources change, then I may change how I direct the flow of that money. But I really think that first and foremost, we need to make sure that that practice exists in time, 
in our schedules. And so like the way that I ultimately found that worked for me is I literally have it in my calendar as Amanda loves money. (laughs) And it's in there every two weeks and that I make sure that twice a month, all the mail is opened, all of the account statements are opened. Like I'm checking these things against the budget and I had tried doing it once a month. I had tried doing it every week. I've tried a million different things because I really embrace the idea of experimentation here mm-hmm. as opposed to like, this is a problem that needs a solution. It's right. Like, here, here's, here's how you do it, kid. You know? Yeah. It, it's yeah. more like, I, and I sort of love the phrase, Amanda loves money. Like it just makes me happy when I see it in my calendar. It's very funny. I like because you could do different stresses on the words. Amanda loves money. Amanda <laughs> loves money. I, it's like one of those actor uh, exercises. That mm-hmm. I like it. It matters how you're feeling that every fortnight of how sure. you're going to react to the money. Yeah. And different words might trigger different or elicit a different response in different people. Like it could be Jennifer appreciates money. No, Jennifer loves money too. I'd like to put that out on my, what, your vision board. I would like to be <laughs> money, just money. It's all right. I don't mind it. I would love to have to worry about having too much money. I'm just putting that out there into the karmic universe. There you go. (laughs) Bring it in. Bring in that karma. Well, and then on the flip side, I know that one of the things you talk a lot about is the shame part of money. Because we're talking about kind of existing with it and then what to do with the future of it. But I'll be the first to admit, even now, if you don't pay some medical bill, I miss it, a dental appointment. They dinged us for a hundred bucks. Mm-hmm. You better pay that because they'll send that to collections in a heartbeat and you get that scary pink, you know, it's always on a colored piece of paper Yeah, and the shame comes up from your ankles. That, and you're oh sure goodness. that your mail carrier is out there like everyone knows thinking yes. about your pink envelope. Yes. So looking at the other end of the spectrum of fear, anxiety, and shame and just all that, the tough stuff. Now it's time for Amanda's one minute TED talk on shame. Sure. <laughs> which is that in the same way that that we think of anxiety as an indication that something is wrong and we want to reframe it as something that needs attention, shame also sort of has a way that we we tend to experience it and code it in our brains. And, and if we step back from more of a like evolutionary uh, psychology perspective, we can understand shame in a, in a more constructive way, I think, which is that Shame is used. It's a social emotion that is employed around behaviors or traits that jeopardize our inclusion in the group, that jeopardize connection. So like something that we feel ashamed about is something that we feel others will judge and that maybe threatens our identity as this responsible, competent person who deserves a place in the group, deserves a place in the person. So in some ways, the origin of shame and the purpose of shame is just to protect our survival because there was a time when being out of the group meant like we would die in the wilderness by ourselves. Oh, it's a powerful emotion and it it can shape our reaction like almost no other kind of, we call these negative emotions because they feel bad, but it doesn't mean that they are bad or an indication something's wrong. But so like I would advise or I would try to, to help a person Think of shame as like, what is the purpose of this shame? What is this shame actually trying to help me do? Or what is it trying to protect me from? Because we don't need to just go, oh, this hurts. I'm going to push it away or I'm going to react to it or I don't know what to do. So I'm just going to take it inside. This is where we think of toxic shame, where we direct the shame against ourselves and see ourselves as unworthy. 
Right. So there's so much attachment that money has to shame because shame is something that we use in a way to inhibit these behaviors that we categorize as dangerous or antisocial or things that are going to to put us at risk. So I I feel like there's a way, just like with anxiety, where we go, oh, what are you trying to tell me, anxiety? What are you trying to bring my attention to? With shame, similarly, we can say, oh, what is this shame trying to protect me from or act in service of? Is that actually something that I want to respond to? Right. Well, I take this call. You know, yes, I will. No, I take this call. Yeah. What did you want to tell me? Yeah. Thanks for reaching out. Totally. Because sometimes it's like we get into this judge and jury in our head of like, yes, I want to buy this thing for myself. Oh, but that's bad. And I should put this money toward this other thing. But I deserve it. And I make this money and I want to take care of myself. And But there's no right answer. Whereas if we just go like, oh, look, there's some shame behind this thought about I shouldn't do this. And shame also, we can think of them as the SH, like, shame and should often accompany each other. Oh, okay. I love it. Yes. So when we're getting an SH signal, you know, cue into that. Yeah. We can sort of go like, oh, this is just shame. There was a message that I got about like, I don't want to be selfish or like we have to be careful with money and make sure that other people are being taken care of. Are the people in my life being taken care of? Am I being responsible in these other ways? Do I still want to make the decision to spend this money on myself? Okay, I can proceed forward. And we we gave ourselves a moment to process that shame. We tolerated the feeling enough to interrogate it a little bit. And that allows us to be able to move forward without having that shame cannibalize our attempt to use money to take care of ourselves. I read something that you had written about moving money from a problem to be solved, which is completely how I see it, to being a source of empowerment. And I is, is this part of that with the messaging, like how you see it, how you react to these messages in your brain that no one else can hear, but somehow you think are being shouted <laughs> with a megaphone to other people? 1,000%. Okay. This is where I feel like the opportunity for money being an avenue for transformation, growth, and connection can happen. Because, for example, like I talked about the judge and jury kind of process. Yeah. This is something I'm deeply familiar with, and I'm so familiar with it that when I change that process, that's where I was so aware of the transformation. And the process change was, instead of thinking, do I need this? Do I want this? I put the money there first and then use the money that I had allocated for it. So like, it is very different to spend on self-care versus to allocate money towards self-care and then spend the money that you've allocated because you've already made the decision that it's okay. So you don't have to waste mental energy on doing that again. (gasps) I love that because I never do. Yes. Once I put money toward it, I felt like, you know, when you get eight hours of sleep and then you have a cup of coffee and you feel like you're a superhero. Yes. Yes, I do. That was this moment where I was like, I am just like, I just, I cannot even find the words to describe yeah. how different that experience was to make a decision about where I wanted my money to go and then act on that decision versus to act and then try to justify the decision. Because it's so much energy to 
to do it yourself. Like the only time I go to the spas, I get it as gifts. That's always mm-hmm. the gift I want for Mother's Day and my birthday yep. and Christmas. That's all I want. And it's like, you know what I really want? I want to allocate some money and have a fund <laughs> that supports mm-hmm. me. Yes. Because I'm so feeling against it. Right. For your audience in particular, we can use this same kind of approach to think of money in relationships and having safe boundaries and empowered boundaries. So like if an older parent needs help, a lot of times what we do is we look at what the parents kind of need gaps are. Right. And similarly, like when we're in that sandwich, we look at the children and we look at what their needs are. And it can often feel like those two things are infinite. Yes. Whereas when we start with ourselves, what our resources are and what our values and intentions are with our money, then we can say like, mom, dad, parent, here's what I can do for you. Yeah. And this is what I can do. And there's the boundary on it. And children sort of here's a boundary too, like of the expectation that you can organize around in terms of what I can do for you. And then let the other people take care of their side of the fence. Mm-hmm. So because most of us don't have infinite resources to be able to take care of everything that needs to or could be taken care of. So we do need to make decisions about how to resolve the tensions around our values with money. And this can create a a sense of safety for ourselves so we don't feel like we're just going to be sucked dry by all of the people Mm -hmm. who need us. But also, again, I think that that piece of not doing somebody else's work for them Like that's appropriate with kids and with aging parents too of like, here's what I got. Here's what I'm going to do with it. These are my decisions and I am empowered to make them. You're going to react to that. And now what are you going to do? You now get to have your own reaction. Now, so we talk a lot about financial wellness at Firstly. Is this financial wellness? This is, yes. Setting your philosophy based on your values and then setting the boundaries that define it. Yeah. I look at financial wellness as a holistic and integrated way of approaching money and dealing with money. And by holistic and integrated, I mean like the holistic piece is that we are acknowledging money in its full context. So it's not just numbers on a page. It is all of those associations Mm -hmm. and layers of meaning that are attached to that. And integrated meaning that we're making purposeful decisions about our money that are grounded in reality. And then our behavior is aligned with the decisions that we're making. And we feel so much more at peace when that alignment happens. And even just it creates the opportunity for it to feel good. I feel like Mm -hmm. otherwise we're just trying to run away from bad feelings and we don't have any (laughs) ability to feel good feelings. Yes. And financial wellness doesn't mean that you are just blissed out about your money all the time because you are feeling a lot of these things that do feel negative and unpleasant, but we can have those processes and feel those feelings without being so reactive to them. Mm-hmm. And we are creating space and hopefully more and more space to feel super good and to feel like I have looked at this problem and given it the attention it deserves and deepened my understanding where I needed to understand it better. And in the fullness of that understanding and knowledge have made some choices for myself that I am empowered to make. And I am a grown ass person who is in <laughs> charge. Of her life. Right. Uh, I think, I feel like you've given us homework and uh, it's good homework because I, I know in my head what I think it is, but I think I need to say it out loud what my values are. 
Yes, because we are, I am entering a stage where I do have a child going to college. One is in high school. That's, it's less expensive. It's public high school. And then I do have parents that are, you know, knocking on the door of 80, you know, like things are happening. So it's time to write this stuff down and to get, get it together. That's part of giving it the attention and space to be able to have these processes and, and to let it be, I use the word messy, but I feel like in all seriousness that that's too pejorative of a term because what it really is, is complex. There are tensions between things that can be very important to us Mm -hmm. that don't have a simple solution. And so if we can, ideally, in the best case scenario. Think of that as like, oh, I am living my life deeply and fully and I am awake and present in these decisions and to give ourselves some credit for that and the enormity of that task, then I hope that that does give some people some some strength and encouragement along the way. Well, thank you so much for joining us on Club Sandwich. I hope that you'll come back and check my homework. (laughs) Yes. Oh, I would be delighted. Thank you. Are you living life in the middle? Share your story with editors at firstly.com. Please take a moment to rate and review our podcast. It really helps us grow. And of course, if you could use a little extra financial wellness help, visit firstly.com, created specifically with the sandwich generation in mind, and let me know what you think. Until next week, I'll see you in the club. Club Sandwich.